Hi, Lloyd. How are you? Hi, Rob. I am excellent. It is Friday night, although it is snowing and cold. That is excellent. You showed me pictures. I'm jealous. Yeah, look, I'd rather... My wife is in Charleston and told me she got sunburnt today, and I'm very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) But you have snow and snowballs and snowmen and jackets and comfort. No, the the first four of those things are the opposite of comfort. They are wet, cold... (laughs) They seep into you. Ooh, seep. And and wearing, God, the worst thing is putting on so many layers to go outside and you just have to take them all off again when you get inside. And then you got to put them somewhere, but you can't because they're covered in snow and wet and they'll just make everything else wet. So they just sit in the floor and then you live in filth. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a fun process that I wish I was involved in. You need to, you need to be more positive. Uh, what are you drinking? As you well know, I overdid my partaking of the naughty sauce last weekend and the very thought of consuming more makes me feel queasy can you just give a quick dot point summary for those which is everyone except me that hasn't heard the story uh look had had some beers uh watched some football played a drinking game had some vodka woke up on the floor of my apartment (laughs) after everyone had left and then had a hangover for two days Two days, and I still don't don't want to drink, so I'm having water. That is... I'm not even mad that um, you're ruining our Guinness sponsorship, because (laughs) there's a story behind it makes me chuckle real hard, because normally it's me that has terrible, terrible hangovers. (laughs) It's true. Uh, What are you you drinking Saturday morning? It's fairly early. It is so early. This is a teetotal episode. You're on water because you might die if you have alcohol, uh, and I'm on coffee because I will not be funny unless I have it. You're not that funny with it. That was harsh. I, mean, I just, I just, that just came out of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're angry when you're not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a happy drunk and an angry sober. Oh no. Uh, so where, <laughs> where are you drinking coffee today? From the mug, you noggin. <laughs> Didn't it's, we discuss the other, a few episodes ago that noggin is what you drink out of? Well, yeah. So it's still relevant. It's like an insult that's related to the cup. I'm drinking it out of a drinking vessel, you drinking vessel. Is it a good insult, though? <laughs> I reckon. It's like my mug is offended as well and has insulted. <laughs> I am in Perth, um, just one small step from the center of sun now. It's warm, but it's not take off all your pants and sweat until you die warm. <laughs> did I say take off all your pants? <laughs> you did. <laughs> I just meant, <laughs> I guess if you're wearing all of them, you would take them all off, but... I'm typically just wearing one set of pants. We're of an age now, Rob, where us wearing those pants that you can unzip into shorts is not uncommon. So you could take off some <laughs> your of your pants. pants. <laughs> as, as you may have deduced by the fact that it's snowing, I'm on the Ooh. opposite side of the world to Perth in Boston. Boston. What is the distance? Far. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, If you were flying over here What will you be counting out the aeroplane window To judge the distance Oh it's such a great thing you said Because now I'm picturing Looking at them lined end to end as I fly And it's hilarious (laughs) just being like why (laughs) It is 7,666,912.7 Frankensteins Frankensteins (laughs) monsters Almost fell right into the trap there Almost Uh, That's a lot yeah, 
and now I'm picturing looking out of the plane window and just seeing a bunch of them just laying down as we fly over. <laughs> uh, which point seven did you bring? Uh, from the shins to his shoulders. <laughs> just the mid, the midsection, so to <laughs> yeah, speak. Yeah, just the middle bit. <laughs> None of the important bits. Well, he is like put together, so it would easily just take him apart, you know? Yeah. Maybe yeah, there was, that's where the stitches were. Yeah, just Velcro off the head and the knees. <laughs> Do you reckon- Did Dr. Frankenstein use Velcro? You have to imagine so. Do you? <laughs> Do you? Uh, how did how 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 did you get an accurate uh, number for his height and or length, depending on your perspective? Uh, oh, don't don't give me his length. Just give me his height. <laughs> uh, you have to imagine well endowed. Well, surely, uh, sure. Miss Shelley, in her book, in fact, references his height as eight feet tall. Ooh, that's large. He's a big man. I assume she Is doesn't he- reference his length. <laughs> not, not that I know of. Uh, I'd have to reread the book and really keep an eye out for any metaphors that she might elude. <laughs> yes, it hits you in the face. Saggy slaps you in the face. <laughs> that would be a pop-up novel. <laughs> so to speak. I had just taken a sip of water. Oh, Perfect. <laughs> it's good. Off to a real good start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not even a thinly veiled segue. No, it's a good segue. <laughs> we are getting dumber. Uh, so, what are you talking about? Uh, so, th- this week, I think I'm going to introduce the whole episode and the podcast. Uh, so, this week on the Unintelligent Chat Show with Robin Lloyd, uh, we have both accidentally learned something related to the horror genre. Of life. Not necessarily of movies, but the horror genre of life. So what did you learn in the horror genre of life? (laughs) In the horror multiverse this week, uh, I learned that uh, (laughs) Frankenstein, the novel that you have already strongly brought up by the author Mary Shelley that you also already brought up, uh, (laughs) was written as a result of a bet and not some deep inspiration to create a lasting work of literature. God, it's, it makes it more badass, I think. I think so, that you're like, all right, I'm going to beat you guys in this bet and just write a piece of literature that is still read 200 years later. Yeah, a timeless piece of literature just because I wanted to prove you guys wrong. Yeah. Not just you guys, to prove Lord Byron wrong. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. So... uh the background for this is Mary and her husband, Percy Shelley. Oh, imagine if Percy Shelley was a ba- band name. Ooh. Anyway, uh, Mary and her husband, which is just one person, Percy Shelley, uh, <laughs> visited Switzerland with the great poet Lord Byron uh, and some physician dude called John Polidori in the summer of 1816. They were gone for a summer getaway in Switzerland. They were stuck inside because it was raining a bunch at some place called Villa Diodati near Lake Geneva, which sounds wildly picturesque. It does. It sounds like exactly the kind of place that someone in the 19th century would come up with the idea for a timeless novel. Yeah. God, what a job. So they were there. They were hanging out inside uh, and they were reading a bunch of ghost stories to each other. And I don't know if you read this, but they were reading from something that just has the best name. Oh, I, I didn't. might steal it. So they were reading ghost stories from something called the Phantasmagoriana. Ooh. 
That is good. Good band name. Yeah, maybe for like a deep metal band. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a Norwegian metal band with that name. Phantasmagoriana. Uh, so at the time, it was a inverted commas recently published French anthology of German ghost stories. Don't know why. <laughs> the okay. French were like, we have no ghosts. French <laughs> oh, we have no ghosts. We must write about the German ones. Just gonna blend. The Germans are like, it is so scary here. <laughs> we have so many ghosts. <laughs> Please write some down for us so we don't forget when we die. <laughs> oh, lordy. Um, so we're going to have to do a separate episode on that because there's a bit in it. Phantasmagoriana. Oh, okay. It looks super interesting. Uh, so basically they were reading these ghost stories uh, and this led to the... Eminable? That's not a word. It's led led to the big dog, Lord Byron, <laughs> suggesting they have a ghost story writing competition. And out of this, Mary describes her inspiration that she got for her story from a dream, which is also just like, uh, I needed to write a bet, and then I had a dream, and then I wrote the best novel ever, so screw you guys. Yeah. Although, uh, to be fair, they did... They were in a picturesque hotel. They probably spent the whole time reading ghost stories. I probably would have had some creepy dreams as <laughs> Real well. Real scary dreams. I would not be into yeah. this unless I was drinking a lot, which they probably were. <laughs> they were artists after all. Uh, so yeah. her description of her inspiration is really cool, and it reads thus in inverted commas. I saw the pale student of unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. God, she's so good. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, so, with Percy's encouragement, the, the band that accompanies her, uh, she went... <laughs> <laughs> backing band. Husband. She went on to finish this. So they, they like they sat down, wrote some ghost stories. Obviously didn't finish it because they were probably too drunk or maybe it got sunny for a second. They went outside. But she started this novel and then she published it in 1818. So it's two years later. Uh, and, and it is what it is that we know that it is now. And she was she was 19 when she published it, right? I think 20 when it was published, 18 when okay. that happened. So she's real young. That's, I mean, just that sentence that you read about her dream is yeah. already better than anything I could ever write. Ever. So good. So, you, you've read the book, right? Yeah. It's actually, like, we had to read it at school. It's very readable. Yeah, and I actually enjoyed reading that. Of all the books I read probably in the last two or three years of my schooling, I enjoyed two, and that was one of them. What was the other one? The other one was Eva Luna by Isabel Allende. Oh, I don't know that one. It's like a very good literature book that isn't a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you said, she was really young when this published. Um, and I think initially the foreword, foreword or whatever, the bit at the beginning of the book uh, was written by Percy. And for a while, people thought that Percy had written the book. Um, and then a little bit later, everyone was a bit like, hey, now, it was obviously Mary. And she got the credit she deserved because it's a good book. Yeah. And I, I read a quote from her that I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was along the lines of, my husband didn't pen a single word or present a single idea, but without him, it wouldn't have been written. So she's saying like, yeah. it's completely my book, but his support was invaluable. Yeah. What a team. Yeah. Because he was also a very well-respected and still well-respected poet and author himself. Yeah, he was. I mean, 
he didn't write Frankenstein. No, no. He was, I mean, he was also in a, like a moderately successful music group. <laughs> I'll, I'll let it go. <laughs> the, the husband. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. So, a few other fun little facts. As part of the bet, Lord Byron uh, sketched out a story that he didn't finish. But the other dude that was there, John Polidori, actually used his inspiration and published later called The Vampire, but spelt P-Y-R-E. Ah, oh, what a cool way to spell vampire. Yeah, because of ye olde stuff, uh, which actually went on to also be a hugely influential novel uh, and inspired a bunch of uh, modern vampire stories and such, which I thought was quite interesting. So they were like getting shit-faced at a villa in the rain and came up with two wildly influential bits of literature. That's insane. We are, Has anyone written a book based on anything we've done? Um, While we've been drinking? No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No. Uh, far out. Uh, but I, I don't know. They didn't live as long as us. So. <clears throat> Frankenstein. I didn't, I didn't know this. I knew a bit about Frankenstein before from, you know, reading the book and general pop culture, etc. Uh, but it was also called The Modern Prometheus. I saw that. Really cool. Very cool title. Uh, so, it makes sense because Dr. Frankenstein is messing with things that are greater than himself and is then chained and tormented by his own monster. Chained, you know, metaphorically. I think maybe physically in the end. And Prometheus is the Greek mythology dude that stole fire and was punished by Zeus by being chained to the mountain to have his liver eaten by an eagle on a daily basis. And those are the things about Frankenstein. Let, let's let's hear what you have to say, Lloyd. Percy Shelley's first wife ended up killing herself so that was <laughs> right. do, you, do you want to hear how i wrote that <laughs> yeah go on let me give you the the previous dot points so uh way back when her mother was mary wollstonecraft which oh my goodness this episode is full of good names mm-hmm. wollstonecraft it sounds like that sounds like that game actually wolfenstein yeah <laughs> anyway great game this is in the late 1700s early 1800s she was also way ahead of her time she was a philosopher a feminist activist, and she published a bunch of really important things, one of which was called A Vindication of the Rights of Woman in 1792. That's cool. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. She was hugely influential and wildly progressive, which was awesome. Uh, Unfortunately, she died just a month after giving birth to Mary J.R., her father, so this is now Mary Shelley slash Wolfsoncraft, the little one, the child that we're going to talk about later. Her father remarries four years later and tiny Mary does not get on well with her new stepmom, who is also called Mary. Like, <laughs> her dad must have a thing. Or That's it. at the time, everyone in the area was called Mary. Yeah, there's only two names. Yeah, we can't know for sure. Mary, born of Mary, does not get on with Mary, new wife. Uh, So, in 1814, she falls in love with and marries an associate of her father, Mary. No, it's Percy. And then when she's 16, they run away to France together and return pregnant. Hooray. Uh, After which they are strongly ostracized by society. Uh, They are in debt. The child is born prematurely and sadly passes away. So, it's it's not like a good start. No. And this is where we come back to where you started. Uh, I wrote, great news, Percy's first <laughs> wife commits suicide so they can finally get married. Yeah, it's a different different way of looking at it. <laughs> different take. Uh, so, unfortunately, Percy's first wife commits suicide, potentially because he's just fallen in love with this child and knocked her up. 
Yes. Could uh, be a contributing factor. Yeah. But they get married in 1816 and, and then head off to Switzerland to write dope literature. Yeah. Although she does lose two more children. Yeah. So I was like, things are looking up when they get to Switzerland and then they're looking very down. Yeah, just like that. the lowest. The, the three times. This poor woman. Yeah. But um, then they have one kid that survives. Yes. And the kid is called, per- like, people were not original with names. They had some good ones, but the kid was called Percy. Um, so they, they got one. They got a keeper. Thank goodness. So things yep. are looking up again. Yep. Until. <laughs> and they're looking very down again. Uh, Percy, yeah. Percy Senior just goes out for a little boat trip and drowns in a storm. Yeah. Just honestly, this poor woman has been through the absolute ringer. Yeah. <laughs> through the what? The ringer. Oh, we said through the ranger. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read that bit. <laughs> so she moves back to England and lives out the remaining of her days with her son, like dedicating a life to raising a good son. <laughs> then in the last 10 years of her life, she's plagued by illness uh, and at age 53 dies of a brain tumor. Yeah, I know. You see the rest of her life. It wasn't that long and she no. was sick the whole time. <laughs> Ah, oh, devastating. But she still contributed a number of excellent things. She did. Let's say in her life, she's contributed more to arts and culture than we probably ever will between us in our hopefully long lives. Agreed. So, I don't think there's any question there. Big ups, Mary Shelley. So that was her shocking life. Uh, what else What else have you got for me, Lloyd? What did you learn? Well, I tried to look up how many copies of Frankenstein have been sold, and it just appears that no one knows. What? Unless you found it. Uh, no. I could not find it anywhere. Really? And I think it's because there have been so many editions that have had edits. Um, even in her lifetime, there were three di- different editions and that people think that her husband edited them because I think he was in publishing as a job. Mm. And then as it's been translated and it just it's, seems like no one knows. But I did find one way of quantifying her success in that a first edition of Frankenstein just sold like first edition from 1818 or whatever it was yeah uh 1820s well I don't know yeah long time yeah. ago do you want to guess how much it sold for wow and I'll give you uh, the only other thing I know that is cool that sold for a lot of money is Bill Gates bought Da Vinci's Codex for 30 million <laughs> of course he did that's very so cool. that's 200 years older ish and mm-hmm. Or three hundred and Da Vinci, so it's it's going to be less than that. But just give you an idea of how much did he buy for thirty million. And we're, so we're talking first edition of Frankenstein recently purchased, like what year? Oh, the twenty tens. I can't remember exactly. Okay. <laughs> this is not the exact chat show. Come on, uh, <laughs> four point six eight million. Uh, not a bad guess. Uh, one point one seven million. Pretty bad guess. <laughs> um, I would have overpaid it, by way too much. It, it just sold. Um, how much? Sorry, one point. One point one seven million. Like that's a lot of money to spend on a book. On but a, also, on a book. also, if I had that kind of money and in my library, that would be like every time oh, yeah. you had someone in your house, you'd be like, "Look, look at my first copy of Frankenstein over there." And uh, don't or you you'd have it in a glass it. case. <laughs> yeah. Would you? Would you read it? Oh. I don't know. Ooh, big question. I might I might pay someone who is like a professional antiques book collector 
to come over and like turn the pages for me while I look at it. <laughs> with like on a table with a with a glove and probably a Although some kind of I um tool. You you know this because you bought me some for my birthday a couple of years ago. I like as you do as well, old books, even if the, the topic is irrelevant. Mm. We just like old books. And Everyone I bought some. There's a great bookstore in Boston that is, I think, like the oldest bookstore in the US, or Hectic. at least in, in New England. And they have amazing old books. And I asked the guy, I was like, how should I be storing and using, like, do I wear gloves? And he was mm. like, never wear gloves. Oh. He's, because your, your, the oils on your fingers can damage it, but it's a lot less than the lack of sensation you get from a glove. Oh, so, so when you can't you're turning be as pages, turning old pages, you're more likely to rip them. Oh, do you say anything about storage? Like you just keep it on your bookshelf? Yeah, yeah as long as it's out of sunlight and out of moisture, just like a cool, dry area. It's fine. So no water bomb fights in the apartment. Not near my first edition, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, so just in, in the other house. In the other in, in my other house. If I can afford a million dollar book, it'll be in my other house. One day, Lloyd. That is an excellent fact. Can't imagine owning a first edition. But I do have a early review of Frankenstein, and people weren't so sure of it as they are now. Oh, how does the early so review go? This guy says, <clears throat> "What? Sorry, this guy. What's his name? <laughs> I didn't write his name. It's John Jack something. Damn it, John Jack. This guy. Uh, we're focusing on Mary Shelley. This guy is just a smudge on her legacy. Mm. He said, "What a tissue of horrible and disgusting absurdity this work presents. <laughs> a tissue. What an insult. What a tissue. <laughs> I snot on you. It." Inculates no lesson of conduct, manners, or morality. It cannot mend and will not even amuse its readers unless their taste have been deplorably vitiated. And there's a couple of words in there that I don't know what they mean, but they yeah. sound so good. What was the first one? In, um, in, in inculates. I'll Google it. I haven't yet. <laughs> inculates. I made a bunch of spelling errors. To teach and impress, impress. <laughs> Sean Connery's impress. <laughs> to teach and impress by frequent repetitions or admonitions. Oh, that even has words in it. I don't get. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Break it down to four-letter words for me. Vici vitiated. Wow. To spoil or impair the quality of. Oh, so deplorably vitiated. Oh, imagine, so good. Imagine if you, so that like that's in a review from the 1800s. Imagine if you just started using those words on, on the daily. <laughs> I can't even remember what they mean to try and make a joke out of it. <laughs> uh, that's because your intelligence has been deplorably vitiated. Deplorably vitiated. No, but like for mundane things, like, I don't know, food going off. <laughs> Man, this cucumber has been deplorable. <laughs> I don't even know what the word is anymore. Vitiated. That would work. Vitiated. This cucumber is vitiated. Time to chuck it out. Uh, <laughs> it's time to move on. <laughs> uh, yes. What have you got? Oh, man. Uh, so, I, her life, not all about Captain Frankie, Frankenstein, or his monster. Frankenstein. Stein. <laughs> that's a big, that's a tall glass of water. <laughs> oh, my God. What a great name for a beer at a brewery. You drink it out of a Frankenstein. That's oh, like so good. surely being done. Nah, we have to cut that just in case someone steals and it's it. It's made of electricity and blood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, she also edited and posthumously published a bunch of her late husband's works. Um, Not the music side, the literature side. Uh, So, for so long, she's known only for Frankenstein and doing her husband's works. Because Frankenstein was obviously the big thing. And also, like you said, Percy uh, was also an influential writer in his own writer. Right. Right. Rights. Uh, But in the 70s, people have looked more into her other work. And she's published a few. She actually published a bunch of other novels. And their titles are Valperga, Perkin Warbeck, The Last Man, which is actually like a an apocalyptic book, which I feel like I'd be into. Uh, cool. Lodor and Faulkner and a few other articles and essays and such that demonstrate that, like her mother, she was also a political radical and didn't just write sweet literature. So- well, her, f- her father and the reason she met Percy, her dad was like, an anarchist and Percy was an anarchist as well, which I think is why they were so like artist in, in like the, uh, the 1800s sense of anarchist as opposed yeah, to not destroying <laughs> the world and burning down everything that we stand for and representing nothing. <laughs> yeah. in the way that yeah. they like got together, like drank port and, and, and wrote things that mildly criticized the establishment and said, here, here a lot. Ah, here, here. Good. <laughs> um, and then I was like, well, I wonder what other, Famous novels or books had been written as a result of a bet. Ooh. Number one, Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. That's a big one. So, apparently, his publisher once said to him, after he's already famous, he's writing these kids' books, he's got away with words. I'll bet you 50 bucks that you can't write a book using only 50 words. Just got it sorted. Got it done. Unreal. Should we bet each other something about Some books? Dumb seems like, like that. Yeah, like, I bet you can't write a book that sells more copies than anyone else in history. <laughs> and I also <laughs> bet that <laughs> for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, next up, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Very famous authors. Couple more big names. Couple, just a couple. Uh, apparently also great mates, which I uh, maybe didn't know and is quite cool. Uh, and they, they had a bet between them, just a cruisy little wager. To see if they could just like straight up write a novel in a new genre. Because they weren't fans of the current state of contemporary fiction in 1937. (laughs) Like, look how great we are. We're just going to write some new genres real quick. Because everything else is trash. So so they flipped a coin. And C.S. Lewis... (laughs) I assume that's you chewing on something. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's Luna drinking. Okay. (laughs) I'll wait. Does she do the same as Reg? Like, doesn't drink for six hours and then drinks for 10 minutes straight. Yes. <laughs> like, why do this? Just have a little sip every now and then. I know. it's. She must wait until it's, like, painful to breathe. And she's yeah. like, better get oh, some water. <laughs> better drink something now. She done? <clears throat> All right. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien uh, flipped a coin for this bet. And Lewis was given a space travel story and Tolkien a time travel story. So, Tolkien's attempt petered out and he didn't get anywhere, but Lewis absolutely crushed the bet and ended up publishing out of this a space trilogy, the first of which was called Out of the Silent Planet in 1938, followed by Perilandra and That Hideous Strength, uh, all published over the period of World War II. Great title. How good is that last title, That Hideous Strength? So ominous. Oh, so ominous. I'd also be really curious to read what an amazing author would write space travel like. Yeah. Sort in, of pre in, that, that in boom. In the 30s. Yeah. Super successful. So, I, I would, I'm going to read those at some point as well. But I thought that was cool. Uh, and then the last famous one I found was uh, Agatha Christie. 
her first book, which I think is The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Her sister, Madge, uh, which is also a great name, Madge. Here are my kids, Agatha and Madge. <laughs> Names. Bets Agatha that she can't write a novel where the reader couldn't spot the murderer despite having the same clues as the detective. Uh, and then oh. look, look at where we ended up with that one. Good one, Madge. Yeah, the greatest detective writer ever. Yeah. That was my first Agatha Christie book I'd read. I, I ha- obviously have heard of her. She's a famous mm, author. Just a bit. I read it and was like, wow, this is honestly, it's one of the, the best Exactly what you said. Like you have no idea. You couldn't possibly pick it. Was it actually real good? Oh, I don't think so I've read good. any of her books. No, that was my first one. She's so good at it, and not just that aspect, but just a really good storyteller. Uh, she is the third best-selling writer in history, oh. behind Shakespeare and the Bible. <laughs> oh wow! Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll put her on the list. I need to read some of not the. Not, you know, the list. Um, I need to read some of the books. Yeah. The list was my list of people to kill, if you were wondering. Am I on the list? <laughs> Everyone's on the list. Everyone? Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I have one more thing, if you have nothing else before we move on. Uh, I got a couple things. Quickly, whip through it. Okay, so, like I said, I couldn't see how many books that she sold, but uh, since 1910, there have been 80 movies either featuring or about Frankenstein's monster, including, throwback, one by our boy, friend of the podcast, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison. That was the last thing I was going to say. Nice. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, man, I introduced it way better than you, though. All right. Fine. Oh, no. Well, I feel you You like you like writes. Your notes are written with, like, Pizzazz. intent. I just put <laughs> the fact down and hope that my natural pizzazz shines through, which apparently it didn't. Uh, so, you, has it inspired over... Th- over 80 films. I read uh, 50, but 80 I, is great. I counted them by hand. Um, uh, Wikipedia has a did list. Did you really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> great job. That's excellent. Um, so, yeah, Thomas Edison. I actually watched it. Oh, yeah. It's it's like 15 minutes, right? Is it? Any yeah, good? it's 15 minutes and it's on YouTube. And no, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I have to. But, that, that era was all terrible. Yeah, but for 1910, it's pretty legit. There are some hectic special effects in there. Like... I think it's interpretation of the novel, but the monster is born out of a pool of fire and they've got someone on fire in the movie. That's really cool. Yeah. I even wrote four in my notes, spelled it and everything. <laughs> four. Four. <laughs> How many R's do you put in it? Oh, just the one. It's just like a four, not a four. Yeah. Nah, fair enough. <laughs> I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. Good old, good old Tommy. Mr. Edison. Sounds like that's uh, the end of uh, end of the beginning. It is. It is indeed. Uh, what's the time for now, Lloyd? Hashtag upward tweeting. It's a very, very new, wildly innovative segment uh, that no one, including us, has ever done before. We tweet <laughs> to the peeps uh, in the hope that one day someone will finally acknowledge us. Uh, I believe this week, Lloyd, you have twouted upon someone on our behalf. I have, and... I'm going to attempt to use this word correctly. Much to your chagrin, I have. <laughs> like, if you just plowed through that, I wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> now. It sounds so wrong, though, but I don't know how else to say it. It's like chagrin. Yeah, chagrin. Yeah, chagrin. Chagrin. There it is. Is yeah, it? Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Much to your chagrin, 
I have tweeted at someone who is a member of a rival universe, <gasps> the the Marvel universe. Ah, oh, I am chagrined. Yeah, chagrining. I tweeted chagrined, chagrudled. I am that. It sounds like it sounds like a rap song now. Chagrin, chagrinin. <laughs> Uh, so I tweeted at the one and only Captain America, Mr. Chris Evans. I'm not even going to pretend to be excited about this. Well, I am in the midst of a Marvel binge, uh. which is probably, it's it's the one thing separating us from becoming one soul, is my love of Marvel and your distaste. Mm. Uh, so I tweeted at Mr. Evans, I said, if you agree to be a guest on our podcast and discuss some funny stuff, will agree to talk about Chris Hemsworth behind his back. Hashtag <laughs> up with tweeting. Yeah, I'm on board with that. <laughs> And, and I assume he is also on board with that. Oh, he's apparently he's fighting crime and aliens and stuff, so he's busy. What did you learn this week, Lloyd? <laughs> I learned... <laughs> skip over that bullshit. I learned about The House of the Devil, a movie by <laughs> George... <laughs> <laughs> a movie by Georges Méliès from Ooh. 1896. How do we feel about that pronunciation? What? I'm very happy with it. Oh, okay, great. Carry on. <laughs> this movie by Georges Méliès, fuck Perfect. you, is <laughs> widely regarded as the world's first horror movie. Awesome. From when? 1896. 1896. Our facts are so aligned. Old I know. and horror related. It's almost as if yeah. there was something that... No, total accident. Weird. Uh, tell me more about The House of the Devil by Georges Méliès. So, Georges Méliès' House of the Devil. It's about four minutes long. So, it is a short, silent film. Mm -hmm. And it is technically considered the first horror movie by cinematic historians. And while Mm -hmm. it uses horror elements like demons and witchcraft and vampires and the devil, it is probably meant to be funny. Yeah, it's mostly mostly pretty silly, right? Yeah, it's kind of goofy. It's on, have you seen it? It's on YouTube. Uh, I did. Yeah, I watched it. And there's a bunch of them on YouTube. Yeah. He made so many. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, George. I wasn't. I did some research on the movie and I was like, okay, cool. And then I did some research on him and I was like, oh my God, this is the longest Wikipedia page I've ever been on. Really? It was intense. Um, <laughs> so, some cool things about the movie is it is a groundbreaking special effects movie. He was doing stuff that wasn't being done at the time and has since been built upon to the point where we're at now. So, in the movie, people appear and disappear. Yeah. Um, at one point, the devil transforms from a bat into the devil. Yeah. Um, so cool. Really impressive. And it, at some points in the short film, you can see, like, an actor bumps the the set where in the devil's house and you can see it, like, billow because it's just, like, a sheet. <laughs> it's, it's like a bedroom film. It's hung up. It's like it's like our Christmas special. He hung up a sheet and just yeah. got it sorted. Exactly. And it was actually lost. We didn't oh. uh, have any copies of it until 1988. And it was really? found in in New Zealand in their film archive. In you- That's quite cool. Yeah. In New Zealand? Yeah. So, someone just had a copy. All the other copies got lost and someone had it in some archive in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, as I'll touch on later, his legacy blew up and shrank within his own lifetime. So, it makes sense that a lot of them were lost. So, he popularized a bunch of techniques like substitution splices, which is when we see people appear and disappear. Mm Mm-hmm. Multiple exposures, 
which is like superimposing images in the time late, lapse. This is like before 1900. He was doing all of we're, this. We're not even in the 20th century. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Uh, time lapse photography and dissolves, which is fade in, fade out, fade to black, which is crazy because that's something that <laughs> it's in everything. <laughs> right. It's just it's a thing that you have to do. And he was like the first guy to think, what were they doing before that? It just like. Right, it just stopped. Ended. <laughs> Get out. How long after you you know the concept of I guess silent movies are we talking here? Like I don't know when that was to to understand how groundbreaking George was being. Very groundbreaking. I mean, he was right at the beginning of the invention of the camera. I don't. I couldn't tell you exactly when these films were first. I mean, well, we talked about Edison did the first film. When was that? <sighs> Shit, he, when did he invent the light bulb? 1860? All right, just on a cheeky Google. The first film, we're talking about a first horror film. The first film, oldest surviving silent film, is entitled The Round Day Garden Scene. <laughs> and it was recorded on October 14, 1888. So, we're like so, within 10 years of that. Yeah, and he's doing special effects. It's amazing. So good. So, I'll give you a bit of background on Georges. Yeah, give it to me. He was... Very smart, and he. One of his goals was to disprove the resounding opinion that filmmakers were cretins. <laughs> um, and he said, "I want to prove that intellectuals can make films." But he also admitted that at times he let his intellect take a backseat to his artistic desires. Like he couldn't control. If he wanted to do something cool, he would just do it, regardless of whether it was intellectual or not. Yeah, good. Well, I guess now movies and film is art. Yeah, I guess back then it was. The devil's work, unless it was intellectual. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking about. Um, so his father wouldn't support his artistic habits. He he wanted to make it sound like his drug problem, his, his artistic habits. That's probably how it felt to people. <laughs> sure. So his dad owned a boot factory. Mm -hmm. So he was a machine supervisor at said factory, and then practiced and learnt stage magic. In his spare time is one of his, <laughs> his fascinations. Perfect. His dad died. He then sold uh, his shares in that boot company to his mm -hmm. brothers. And along with money from his dowry for his wife, they bought a theater together. Nice. And initially it sucked. He <laughs> was do he, he just like had learned magic from people who had been doing it a long time. So all mm. his tricks was just shit that people had seen before. Yeah. No one really cared. But- as we see with his films, he spent the next 30 years changing the game and basically yeah. also made stage magic what it is today. He turned oh, really? it into a pantomime show rather than just doing tricks. He turned it into a whole set where he like gets the audience involved. He invents new tricks. He, he makes Damn. it um, a comedy show. And he also invented a trick, which I didn't understand. Maybe you can help it, called the <laughs> Recalic, the Recalic, Recalic Trent <laughs> Decapitated Man. Oh. In Recalcitrant. which a professor's- Rick, oh, recalcitrant, thank you. <laughs> the, the recalcitrant, <laughs> the recalcitrant decapitated man in which a professor's head is cut off in the middle of a speech and he continues talking until it is returned to his body. Hectic. Which is very cool. Yeah. So his, his theater was killing it. He was killing it. Um, at this point, like he's not even thinking about film at this point. He's mm -hmm. just a stage magician. But in 1895, he was invited to a presentation by two brothers, I believe they were French, with a bunch of other well-to-do people for a display of the cinematograph, which they cool. had created. He offered them 10,000 francs immediately. He was like, this is the coolest thing ever, I want it. And <laughs> they it were like, me. no, 
mm-hmm. it's ours. They wanted to hang on to the science of it. They didn't want yeah. to give it up. Um, they actually turned down offers in today's money as high as $325,000 on the spot. Someone offered that. Hectic. He went to London on a rumor that someone had invented a similar camera. It was mm. called an animatograph, mm. which was likely not as sophisticated as the cinematograph. Right. And I don't think it even filmed things. I think it was more like a projector uh-huh. or, or it played. Useless. But he, oh, another throwback, Mr. Edison, he bought <laughs> the anim- animatograph and also several films produced by Edison's film company. Hectic. And part of his theater, he started playing these these films, these really goofy, shitty four-minute <laughs> short films. <laughs> you say that, and I was thinking about that. When I watched one of them, I was like, wow, this sucks. But- in 1896, you know, when this stuff is just being invented, it like, I guess it would genuinely be groundbreaking seeing people You're on right. screen doing things, I'm all showing things that were recorded at a different time and all that shit. It's wild. It would have been mind boggling. You're yeah. right. So he actually converted his animatograph into a camera, which is wild to me. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> he was a magician, Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And he started developing, printing, filming his own films. Yeah. And in the next, I don't know, 20-ish years, a bit under 20 years, he directed 500 films. (laughs) Oh, no. That's too many, George. And they've been described as devoid of plot. (laughs) (laughs) He was just having fun filming shit. Yeah, I think the, the premise is he was trying to make it like a stage show. So, it was more- like the magic of it, yeah, what you're looking sure. at, rather than any any kind of story. And in fact, I have a really cool link. Good. Uh, uh, <laughs> Do you? Sounds like you forgot on it. The word. Um, <laughs> no, I I know what it is. I can't think of the word I'm thinking of. But a shared a shared love of ours of um, British comedy and mm-hmm. Mr. Noel Fielding oh. from the Mighty Boosh. His mm. I'm the Moon. <laughs> is inspired by a scene in one of George. Meslier's uh, films really? where a spaceship crashes into a faced moon. And does the moon say, I am the moon? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a silent film. But he looks okay. like he wants to say it. <laughs> yeah, you can see it in his eyes. Ah, he looks a little uh, perturbed. That's an excellent, I don't even know, sidebar. Yeah, and I because I, I actually looked at that scene oh, yeah. um, in the original film and I was like, that is... It's the same like shaving cream on a guy's face moon. <laughs> really? <laughs> so I, I Googled it and yeah, it's what inspired the moon. George Melier's moon. Oh yeah, look, there it is. <laughs> yeah, does, it, does it have a spaceship in it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In its eye. It looks like he wants to say something not something a little bit more aggressive than I'm the moon. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, look, his movies are basically, well, his horror movies are basically horror comedies, spoofs. Um, yeah. But uh, like I said, would have been groundbreaking at the time. And unfortunately, now in our time, we've seen everything there is to see. So, our horror films are genuinely terrifying. It is some hectic yes. shit. Um, so, hectic. Can you imagine showing them to people in 1896? <laughs> oh, wow. There would be a lot of heart attacks. Yes. So, I read about some of his other early horror slash comedies, um, and they all sound equally as ridiculous as The House of the Devil. Hit me with some. Despite having proper horror titles. So, in the same time frame, so 1896, 97, 98, 
He filmed La Caverne Maudite, which I think is like a death cave or something, in which a woman stumbles into a cave populated by spirits and skeletons of people who have died there. Sounds like she's just like in a space and things just pop up until it ends. Which is exactly (laughs) what happens in The House of the Devil. (laughs) Une nuit terrible. One terrible night. Tells the story of a man who tries to have a good snooze and ends up wrestling a giant spider. (laughs) Oh, that does sound good. Actually sounds, I would watch that one. And yeah. uh, La, La Berge en Sorcellerie, which I think is the Bewitched Inn, is about a hotel guest being pranked by an unseen ghosty boy. Ooh. Uh, I imagine they're all terrible, though. That also is exactly what happens in The House of the Devil. Yeah, it's the same concept to show some crappy special effects. Ah, but he did a good job. I'm glad he did it. Yeah. We're so desensitized now. So desensitized. And... One way to show how desensitized. So, like, the rest of my research on this topic is down a rabbit hole that gets very silly. So, if you got some smart stuff, get it in now. I don't have smart stuff. I just have the sad fact of his life. Oh, yeah. Finish his life. Finish me that. I don't have a lot. Just his business failed. Um, he <laughs> fell out of the public eye. Most of his films were lost. And he, by the nineteen, the mid-1920s, was him and his wife were working at a candy shop, barely scraping any money together. Damn. Um, Is that because he kept making the same shit and, (laughs) you know, while the industry moved on? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, A little boost of positivity at the end of his life is that a historian journalist found him and was really excited to interview him um, as he talked about how France was a big part of early cinematography and the growth of cinema as a medium. So he was recognized in his life as a little bit of vindication. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he did die re- relatively anonymous. Don't we all? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, give me some silly. Some real silly. So the only thing I could think about after reading about the first horror movies was about horror movies now. Horror is an enormous genre in the current movie yeah. space. And it has spawned very, very numerous subgenres. And I even found a handy chart uh, to tell me about all of the key horror genres and their subgenres. So, Lloyd, what do you think are the five key horror genres? Okay, I'm going to guess. According to this chart that I got from somewhere on a website. Um, Paranormal. Crushed it. One out of five. I don't know, like... Murder? Is that just like a a man (laughs) Uh, killing people? Yeah, killer. I'll give you killer. Killer. Two out of five. God, there's three more. (laughs) Yes, Uh, Suspense? I may give you something. I'll give you half for that. All right, what was... You may come across across the rest of it later. (laughs) Um, Animal-based? Monster, come on. Monster? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I was, for some reason I was thinking Big Dog. I think I was thinking of Stephen King because he did a scary dog one. <laughs> okay. Not that big red dog kids movie. <laughs> oh God, it looks so bad. Yep. <laughs> so I got three and a half, right? That's yeah, not bad. Good. Are you done? Is that you? Uh, give me five seconds. One, two, three. Four. Out of space. Nope. <laughs> right. That's sci-fi, you dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be scary. <laughs> Aliens? Okay. Uh, Are they so monsters? I reckon that comes under the monsters. All right, so uh, it comes answer the monsters. <laughs> the monsters. 
So I gave you half for suspenseful. It's called psychological. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And the one you didn't get was gore. Well, it's called gore mm. and disturbing. Yeah, so that makes sense. I'm going to quickly whip through some subgenres. Under paranormal, we've got ghosts and spirits, haunted house, possession, devil and demon and hell, and supernatural powers. It's pretty legit. There's a bunch of real scary things that happen in that. Agreed. Monsters, pretty obvious. Uh, we got zombies, and we got sub sub genres. In zombies, we got the virus sub sub genre or the undead sub sub genre. Vampire, but spelt with an I, unfortunately, so pretty shit. Lame. Classic and mythological, such as Frankenstein. And sci fi and aliens comes under monsters, so you got that. Nice. Oh, and also animals and nature, so like Jaws. Uh, in the killer or slasher genre, we've got Friday the 13th, and there's the. Most excellent subgenre, bumpkin and redneck, <laughs> such as Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes. Have you seen um, that like parody horror? Is it called Rung Ten? Ah, oh, no. What's it called? It's just like these two guys. Um, oh yeah, just live um, together. Dave, Dale and Tucker versus Evil. Yes, yes, it's so good. <laughs> it's so very good. When he's uh, talking to the cop and he's like, well, these kids just keep killing themselves <laughs> on our property. Oh, fuck, it's good. Yeah. Oh, good. That's very good. I haven't seen it for a while, but I have seen it and it's excellent. And then gore and disturbing is like torture, saw, cannibal stuff. There's a movie called Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Net- there was Nancy. a horror movie made by a Japanese guy and I was going to talk about it, but I... <laughs> The Grudge. I was going to talk about it, but I can't. Uh, I think I, I ran out of time. Where he was literally put on trial and was investigated because the special effects were so good that they oh. were like, we genuinely can't believe that you didn't kill someone in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I, I like, reckon you have you've to prove some- to us. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, that- I, and it's it's pretty fucking horrific. I have you even, seen it? it I, there's clips watch of it. Cl- oh, I don't think I want to watch um, it. It's pretty. I mean, because special effects are real good. Especially yeah. this, in the this horror was, world. Um, and this isn't like in 2021 horror. I'm just going to Google it, see what year it was that was investigated. The FBI launched an inquiry into those involved in the production and distribution of Guinea Pig 2. So that <laughs> what? 1985. So it's, oh, it's described as a snuff film, which is like, I'm not into that, but. It's actually called Guinea Pig 2, Flower of Flesh and Blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 1985, the special effects. It's like yeah. yeah. Okay. He uh, he went he went all out. Hectic. Sounds exciting. Uh, okay, that's that's genres, and then within the animals and nature section, there is the example movie Jaws. Okay, good. Which one. is a shark movie. There is one key subgenre that is missed out of those five key horror movies genres, and it is B grade horror. Okay, like Mega Shark. Yeah, like bad horror. There is a, which I like, I love. That's my favorite kind of horror movie. Doesn't count as proper horror movie, but if it did, it would definitely be my favorite genre. And John Carpenter's The Thing is excellent. There's also a little known movie called Deep Rising, which is probably the first B-grade horror that I ever saw with some friends. And it is absolutely classic. Everyone needs to watch it. Uh, I know the name. What's it about? Uh, A sea monster, a boat. It's all very, it's very good. And then obviously there's Piranha, Piranha 3D, uh, you know, Robo Croc, 
dragon wasps, airplane versus volcano, zombievers. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> I was Googling them and I was like, what? Got to put that in. Seems quite an obvious like uh, plot point, I suppose. <laughs> it seems like an obvious winner as well. <laughs> airplane, of course. Fuck you, volcano. <laughs> uh, zombievers. And then oh, okay. also something called zombies. <laughs> Are they really fast? I assume so. I haven't watched any of these ones, but it's like a whole, it's a whole industry now. Uh, and then, like you mentioned before, Sharknado. And yeah. that sent me down the rabbit hole of the sub, 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 sub genre of only shark related B-grade horror comedy. There's got to be a lot. There are so many. So, I think one of the originals, one of the classics, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Yeah. Classic B-grade horror. Spawned the sequels, Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. <laughs> Mega Shark versus Mecha Shark. Okay. And Mega Shark versus Colossus. Why? What is Colossus? Uh, like a big, you know, like the Colossus of Rhodes, just like a big statue kind of thing. Oh, literally, it's the Colossus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Like, why? <laughs> Sharknado, which is sharks inside a tornado, quite obviously has so many sequels and they've all got great names. Sharknado 2, the second one. Sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, it's so good. And then for some reason, there's Sharknado 2, the second one, and this is in order. Then there's Sharknado Feeding Frenzy and then Sharknado 3, which is entitled Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Sharknado The Fourth Awakens. Like, come on. Sharknado 5, <laughs> Global Swarming, and The Last Sharknado, It's About Time. <laughs> like, they knew what they were doing. So, are we are we in the camp of that most people behind the scenes in these movies are aware that yes. they're horror, horror parodies? They're taking the absolute piss because people yeah. like to watch it, I think. That's so good. I remember in particular uh, watching with our mutual friend, Forgy. Forgoza. Um where a shark is swimming at a naval warship and they show the shark swimming towards the camera on the left-hand side yeah. and they just keep repeating it's that. the same like, shot. Mirror- mirroring it to the, well, the right side. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, that's the original Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus. Oh, it is. Nice. Yeah. Great. Uh, and then there are sharks in every possible environment you could think of. There's ice shark, there's snow shark, there's house shark, <laughs> there's <laughs> sand sharks, there's swamp sharks, there's Jurassic shark, and then two of my favorite, ghost shark, which I've seen with our friend Foggy, which is terrible, and then avalanche of sharks. <laughs> oh, God, that sounds scary. And, and that, that's where I got to. I read through all those titles and listed them out, and I was like, that's, that's me and horror movies. I'm finished. That, that sounds like the end of this episode, I think. I agree. <laughs> that is enough. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our rants. Tune in for more next week on the Unintelligent Chat Show podcast with Robin Lloyd. And if you want to tell us about your favorite B-grade horror movies or make some genuinely scary recommendations for us, Ooh. we are on the Twittersphere, mm. the tweet Twittersphere at the UCS pod. We're on Instagram at the UCS podcast and Gmail email, the UCS podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. And we're also right behind you. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs>
No, it's not true. We're not that scary. We're also on. We're on YouTube now. Oh we're, yeah. We're doing. We're doing videos. Uh, you say we're doing video. Is this like that time you were like, yeah, we're going to do a video for episode ten special. It's going to be great. And then we had to do it. Now we have to make a bunch of videos for people to watch on YouTube. Yeah, we, you, it could be anything. It might not even be related to a podcast. We're just going to maybe, maybe, strong maybe, <laughs> might do some shit. <laughs> so I guess keep your eyes out for that, maybe. We will speak to y'all next week. Cheerio.